You know, it is always a privilege for me to stand before you every Sunday, but I have to say that today is when I feel more privileged than ever because today I get to lead you in both recognizing and celebrating the most important day in all of history. It's when God's plan for the redemption of mankind was accomplished through a miraculous event that stands at the very foundation of our Christian faith. Because on this day, over 2,000 years ago, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was resurrected from the grave. This, This is the day, yes, you can clap at that if you want. This is the day when reconciliation with God the Father and the forgiveness of our sin was made available, made possible. Jesus carried our sin on him, on that cross, and he died a horrific death, and he was buried in a tomb. But three days later, on that first Easter Sunday, just as he said he would do, he defeated Satan, death, and the grave, and he is now at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, and and all of us who know him, all who are in a redemptive relationship with him are promised eternal life in God's presence. And I can't think of a greater thing for any of us to celebrate than this, amen? Well, that is the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, and that is why we celebrate this day. Now, if you are new or visiting with us today, I need to tell you that we have been in a, in a very long sermon series where we've been dissecting the book of John, the New Testament book of John. And in this series, I explained to you that John's was the last of the gospel accounts to be written. And it was written some 50 years after these events had taken place. And yet the narrative that, you're, that is taken from chapter 20 that we're gonna read here in just a few minutes is as vivid and as fresh as if it just occurred. And what we're going to see, surprisingly, is that for those who were closest to Jesus on that day, the news of the empty grave initially was not good news. And you'll understand what I mean as we get into this story and into the scriptures. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. We're gonna start by reading verses one through 10, but we'll continue a little later on. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screen and you can follow along with me. John chapter 20, verses one through 10. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's referring to John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Verse nine, 
they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So this was terrible news that Mary uh, brought to Peter and John as she came running from the tomb, announcing that the body of Jesus had disappeared. And I'm sure that it was a shock to his disciples. I mean, they were already numbed by Jesus' death. They were trying to wrap their minds around what they had just seen happen and unfold over the last couple days. But now Mary's disturbing announcement brought only more pain. Because as John wrote, they still didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, according to the other gospel accounts, it says that there were other women besides Mary that went to the tomb early that morning. And when they arrived, the, the, the sun was beginning to rise and what they saw was quite amazing. They saw that, that heavy stone that weighed over a thousand pounds that was used to close off the tomb. Well, it had literally been rolled away from the entrance. And shocked by this discovery, Mary left and she ran to tell Peter and John. She wanted them to know that the tomb had been opened, that the soldiers who had been assigned to watch the grave of Jesus and that had left and that the body of Jesus had disappeared. And upon hearing this, both Peter and John, they, they immediately began to run through the streets of Jerusalem heading toward the tomb. John, who was the younger of the two, he, he, he beat Peter to the tomb. And so he stooped down and he looked inside. And what he sees is a fairly, fairly large chamber carved out of rock with uh, three rock shelves that were carved in for bodies. And John also saw the burial clothes still lying on the rock shelf where the body of Jesus had been placed. Now, he does not tell us in writing what he thought at that precise moment. But to me, it seems likely that what flashed into his head was the realization that Mary was wrong. You see, from his vantage point, the cloths were still there. It looked as though the body was still there. Perhaps this accounts for the fact that he didn't enter the tomb in the first place since he was the first one there. But not Peter. Peter, when he arrived, as you would expect, Peter impetuously enters into it. And inside, he also saw the burial cloths, with, which John had seen. But Peter also saw a specific cloth. It was like a napkin that was wrapped around the head of Jesus, lying in a place all by itself. According to his own account, at this point, John enters the tomb. And when he saw these cloths, he wrote, it says... He believed. Now, I think the obvious question for any one of us reading this story is, he believed what? Most people think that, that John believed that Jesus had indeed been raised from the dead. I've even heard pastors and ministers uh, supply details that are not provided in these, these scriptures about the cloths lying there. They have said things like the cloths were hollow and, and sunken in as though Jesus' body had kind of come through them and disappeared. They say that that is what convinced John to believe that Jesus had risen. But if you accept that point of view, there is absolutely no explanation whatsoever for what John wrote in verse 9. They still did not understand from scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
Now to me, this suggests that John did not believe at that point that Jesus had risen. So then what did he believe? Well, I think he believed Mary was right. Now his first glimpse into the tomb made him feel like that a very emotional Mary had reported something that wasn't true. He believed that the body was still there. But now when he entered and he saw the body cloths were laying in one place and the cloth that went over his head was laying in another place, I think that led him to believe that Mary was true. What Mary said was true, that the body had indeed been stolen. And this would fit in with what verse nine said about them not understanding that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And that being the case, there was really nothing more for them to do but to go home. And so that's what it says in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now I wanna go back to chapter 20 because Mary returns to the tomb and let's continue by reading John 20, verse 11 through 18. Now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken, away, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now that brief account focuses first upon Mary, who was sobbing as she was standing outside of the tomb. She is still convinced that her Lord was dead and that the body had been stolen by someone. But then upon looking in, she sees two men that the scriptures say were angels sitting inside. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And then in the early light of, of that day, it doesn't seem like they're looking at her, but instead they're looking past her to someone standing behind her. And Mary turns and she sees a man standing there that she thought was the gardener. And he asked her the same question. He says, woman, why are you crying? And you need to, you need to understand something here. There is a gentle rebuke inherent in this now twice asked question. It's saying, Mary, this is no time for weeping, but it's a time for rejoicing. It's a time for praise. It's a time for thanksgiving. It implies that she could and should have known this. Why? Because Jesus had, had clearly said numerous times in the gospel accounts that he would rise again on the third day. And here's something that I find very, very interesting. And I wonder if you have ever thought about this. There is a striking phenomenon in the gospels and it's about the deafness of the disciples. 
I'm talking about their deafness to the consistent revelations of Jesus concerning his resurrection. He had a great difficulty even uh, telling them that he was going to die in the first place. And it wasn't until the opposition started closing in in on him that they realized that what he said was true. But even then, none of them seemed to grasp that every time he mentioned his death, he also added in different ways to say that he would rise again. But you know, in all fairness, the disciples and Mary are really no different than, than we are. I mean, have you ever found yourself in a distressing situation when the sky seems to be falling in on you and there seems to be nothing that's going right? You began to feel sorry for yourself and you became anxious and upset. And the Christian that you are, you immediately forgot all about the promises of God. Oh, how we so quickly forget the promises of God, especially in difficult times. It's been told that the great Christian reformer, Martin Luther, once spent three days in a dark depression over something that that had gone wrong. On the third day, his wife came downstairs dressed in mourning clothes. Who's dead, he asked her. God, she replied. And Luther rebuked her and he said, what do you mean God is dead? God cannot die, to which she responded, well, the way you've been acting, I thought that he had. (laughs) Sadly, many of us have been caught in that same trap. And this is exactly what happened to Mary. But all Jesus had to do was to speak one word in order for her eyes to be opened. And with indescribable tenderness, he simply uttered her name. And instantly, Mary recognized his voice very much like we would recognize the voice of a loved one on a long distance phone call. And, and, and responding in, in Aramaic, Mary, uh, she flung herself at his feet and she cried out, Rabboni, as she began crying tears of joy. Everything Mary had staked her life upon proved to be true because Jesus did exactly what he promised he would do. He had risen. He was alive. The promise he made had been fulfilled. What an incredible moment. And imagine how incredible it was to, must have been for Mary to have been a part of that moment. Now, if you'll allow me, I want to go back to the very first verse found in John's gospel account. We read this at the very beginning of of the series and believe it or not, I read this to you way back in April of last year. It's a very popular scripture, you've heard it before, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In fact, if you go back even further to the creation account found in the Old Testament book of Genesis, you'll see the same thing. What you'll see is God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Word. Ladies and gentlemen, in the scriptures, the Word is Jesus. He has always existed. And as John's gospel account begins, it's like poetry. And and he's, he's trying to tell us something about Jesus, the Word, 
There aren't many more beautiful statements found in the entire Bible than this because John wants to make sure, sure that we clearly understand something here. Jesus was close to God, as close to God as a word on God's lips. Jesus was at the beginning. He was the word that started everything. Jesus was the word that had life, that created, that had power. Jesus was and is the word, and this word is life. And this word builds life. And this word is a light that gives life. Jesus, the word, can never be drowned out. He can never be overcome. Jesus is a light that can never be extinguished. And we need to remember this as, as we look at Mary's search for Jesus at the empty tomb. And John asserts that the word Jesus, the word Jesus, was never simply an idea or, or a feeling. Not that ideas and feelings aren't, aren't important or powerful. It's just that John knew the word was concrete. The word became flesh and lived among us. And Jesus, the word, is just like us experiencing every facet of what it means to be human. What I mean is that the word was born into this, this world and he lived in a family. The word had friends, the word had enemies, the word hungered and he grew thirsty. The word mourned and cried, the word laughed, the word grew tired. In every way that one can be human, the word Jesus was just like us. And the word even died. That is how completely Jesus, who was present at creation, identified with humanity. The incarnation, which, which means Jesus was every bit God and yet every bit man, was not some divine power trip. Because at the beginning of the gospel, John told us that the word had a purpose. You see, ladies and gentlemen, everybody who receives the word, everyone who receives Jesus will be changed. It's as simple as that. Amen. They will be transformed. Amen. Whoever receives the word, Jesus, will become a child of God. The word is here to create connection. The word is here to build a family with humanity and nothing will be more powerful than his mission. And not even death can sever the connection from God through Jesus to humanity. The word cannot be drowned out and even the tomb cannot seal away the word forever because the word he arose three days later, just as he said he would. And in him, there is intimacy. And in him, there is abundant life. And in him, there is peace. And in him, there is joy unspeakable. And in him, there is beauty. And yet I am certain that Jesus' followers thought that his crucifixion was his ultimate destruction. 
And I am certain that his followers thought it was the end. It was a nice ride, but it's all over now. In fact, Mary will need to hear the word before she'll understand that a miracle is happening or happened right before her very eyes. Because this time, seeing won't quite be enough. And this is not the first time that someone needed to hear Jesus, the word, in order to know the word. In chapter 10, when Jesus described his relationship with humanity, he said he was like the good shepherd who cared for his sheep. He said that he would do anything for his sheep. And he also said that he must add more to his fold. He said that the sheep would hear his voice and they would follow him and he will call them by name and he will lead them out. And just like the blind man that heard the word Jesus and believed in chapter 10, and just like Lazarus heard the word Jesus and was raised from the dead in chapter 11, Mary will need to hear Jesus in order to understand that he is living again. She will need to hear the word. And so Jesus speaks for the first time in this story. And he asks her two questions. The first question is, why are you crying? It's a question of compassion. Compassion is a hallmark of the ministry of Christ. And the second question calls us back to the beginning of his ministry. And it's the question that I wanna focus on in the time that we have left this morning. Who are you looking for? We are to read this and to recognize this. We are to realize that what we are hearing is a new beginning but Mary still doesn't recognize him. So she asks him if, if he knows who took Jesus' body and she offers to go and retrieve it. And Jesus picks this moment to relive his role as the good shepherd. He says his sheep's name. He says to her, Mary. And with that, she hears the word. And she finally understands the word Jesus has not been erased. Jesus has risen. And at that moment, Mary joins with many other women in the scriptures who served as first witnesses to the revelations of Christ, like the Samaritan woman at the well who heard Jesus say, I am the Messiah of which you have heard. Like Jesus' mother who, who witnessed his death on the cross here is Mary Magdalene witnessing that the word has been raised from the dead and she speaks with Jesus. And so Jesus commissions her to be the first preacher of this good news. After he tells her he cannot stay, he reassures her and she tells her to deliver a special message to the others. It's the message that he will ascend to God. This, ladies and gentlemen, is honestly where the greatest promise lies. See, the Easter story is more than just a resurrection. That is salvation from the grave. This is also a story about ascension. 
The ascension is the final act of this gospel. It assures the continuing relationship between God and God's children. You see, Jesus doesn't just want Mary to tell them that he has risen. He wants her to tell them that the word has made them children of God. Jesus' ascension will assure them of this promise and of their ongoing relationship with God long after he ascends to heaven. And not even death can control or, or can destroy this promise. So Mary went to them and she preached. She said, I have seen the Lord. And in doing so, she reminded them of the promise that they had all forgotten, including herself. And although Mary was the first preacher of this good news, I believe Jesus' words to her have a lot to say to us today here in the 21st century. And I believe the most important words were found in the form of his question to her, a specific question. And he asked that same question of you today on this Easter Sunday of 2022. Who is it that you are looking for? Because the truth is, this crowd here today is very much like Mary on that first Easter. You are looking for something. We are all looking for something. Some of you are looking for answers. You're not sure what you believe. And you're thinking that maybe this Easter you'll find the answers that you desperately seek. Some of you have come here today looking for hope because things have been difficult. You can clearly see that this world of ours has gone crazy of late. It's off the hinges. And you're scratching your head wondering what's going on. It's, it's all written in the scriptures. If you'll get in the Bible, you won't fear so much because Jesus predicted all of these things would happen. Some of the foundations that you have built your very life upon are crumbling. And you're scared. And you're looking for something that will bring you hope. Some of you are looking for peace. It seems like you're continually all torn up inside. You never have a moment of real peace. You probably would give anything to have some. Some of you are looking for healing from your brokenness. You've been hurt deeply and you can't handle the pain. It haunts you every single day of your life. Some of you are looking for truth. You've heard so many lies throughout your lifetime that you're craving absolute truth. Some of you are simply looking for a friend. You need a friend you can count on. A friend who won't leave you. A friend who won't forsake you. Well, can I just say that Jesus, the word, can provide you with every one of these things that you are looking for? In fact, he promises every one of those things to you and I. Jesus, the word, promises answers for the things that you are dealing with in life. Matthew 7, 7, he says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. Jesus, the word, he promises hope. 
Isaiah 40, 31 tells us, but those who hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Jesus, the word, promises peace. Philippians 4, 7 tells us, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the word, he promises healing. 1 Peter 2, 24 tells us, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And the key words here, by his wounds, by what he did on the cross, you have been healed. Jesus, the word, promises truth, absolute truth. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus, the word, he promises to be your friend. Hebrews 13, 5, God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Proverbs 18, 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Well, Jesus, the word, he is that friend. And if you listen closely this morning, you too will hear him calling your name. Just like he called Mary's name thousands of years ago. But here's the deal. Today, you're not just going to hear his, his voice, but you're feeling him. You're feeling him deep inside of you. It started when you walked through this place and when worship started and something started churning inside of you. And that's the Holy Spirit of God that is drawing you to Christ today. He's calling you to make a decision, to make it a, a uh, act of your will to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to receive the salvation today that only he can offer. And listen, I wanna tell you, I am fully aware of the empty promises that this world makes day in and day out. You've been let down so many times in your life. I get that because empty promises, they, they abound literally in every facet of life. And because of that, you're always on guard. And deep down inside, you've wondered if what I'm telling you today is just another one of those empty promises. And you've chosen because of all this, not to believe anything at all. And that includes the word who was from the beginning of existence, Jesus. You've allowed other people's opinions and you've allowed people to mock Christianity. You say, I don't wanna be mocked, so I'm afraid to be a Christian. You've allowed them to sway you from the very one who is truth, the only one who you can trust, the only one you can believe in who will not let you down. So make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, you are here today not by accident. You are here today by divine appointment. Jesus the Word has made sure that you arrive safely to this place today, and he did so in order to give you an opportunity to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. And I wanna give you the opportunity to do that this morning. And truthfully, I cannot think of a better day than Easter Sunday for you to receive his gift. Scott, will you come forward? Help me to close this down. Today, we have the privilege to participate in one of the most 
special and sacred ordinances of the church, Holy Communion. It's a time that we set aside to follow our Lord's instructions of remembering the tremendous sacrifice that was made for us through Jesus' death on the cross, but also, of course, the resurrection that we are celebrating here today. You see, Jesus' death on the cross would have been useless without his resurrection. And here's another bit of truth. If it wasn't for the cross, if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would be a people with no hope. We would be a people with no future. But because of what happened over 2,000 years ago, we can not only remember, but yes, we can celebrate what Christ has done for us. Having said that, it's very important for me to tell you that you should never participate in communion without any thought, with a casual type of an attitude, because this is a sacred moment. In fact, the Bible offers us a warning, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 11, 27, and 28. And it says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Because this is so important, I wanna take just a few moments to talk about what it means to eat and drink from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. It means to do so casually, to do so without any thought, to make this some kind of a rich, religious ritual instead of something that you're doing from your heart. To participate in communion in an unworthy manner means you do so without bearing your heart before the Lord and, allow, and truly examining yourself as that scripture I read just said. To participate in communion in an unworthy manner is to do so without confessing your sin to God. To participate in communion in an unworthy manner is to do so without dealing for unforgiveness that you are carrying in your own heart towards another individual. But you know, truthfully, I've come to realize that really no one is worthy to take communion because our worthiness only comes through Christ Jesus. And I think that's the point. Because it, it brings us full circle back to Christ once again. Because at this moment, we can be made whole as we confess our sins and our need for Jesus. You see, God is brilliant. He commands us to remember Jesus' death on the cross, and yet while doing so, it brings us face to face with the reality of his amazing grace. He knew that every time we would participate in communion together, it would be another opportunity for those who have yet to receive his gift of salvation to receive it. He also knew that it would be a time of reflection for all of those who have already received salvation. You're already serving the Lord. It's a time for us to confess our unconfessed sin. To, to identify and yes, to shed undesirable attitudes and thoughts with him. And, 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 and that's exactly what I wanna do this morning. 
There was a time when we would take communion here and I would pray and I realized that people were just listening to my prayer. They weren't praying on their own. So for many years now, I've made this moment a silent time of reflection with each one of us praying in our own way and in our own words to the Lord. So we're gonna have a moment of silence where all you're gonna hear is the music playing softly behind me. And I would like everyone in this place to play, pray to God and in, your, in your own way and in your own words. And if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's not rocket science, it's very simple. The Bible says to receive salvation, you must simply believe and confess. Specifically, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. All you need to do is to recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the one who died on the cross for your sins, whose blood atoned and covered your sin. You must believe that Jesus rose from the dead, just like he did with resurrection power, and it is that same power that now saves you today. That's the believing part of this scripture that I just read. And when you pray these things, you ask him to forgive you of your sin and to invite him to be the Lord of your life. That's the confession part as you speak or in your mind those words to the Lord. And if you do this with sincerity in your heart, you will receive salvation and you will become a child of God. And that's what makes you able to participate in communion, as the scriptures say, in a worthy manner. Now, if you're already a believer, take this time to confess any unconfessed sin in your own life. You're harboring bitterness towards another person, let that go today. Take this moment, use it as a time to reconcile anything going on in your heart that is wrong so that we can all participate in this sacred moment with clarity of mind and with pure hearts. This way we can truly remember and love and be thankful to Christ for what he accomplished on the cross, the cross of Calvary. And the reason we do this is as that scripture tells us, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So friends, if after all you have heard this morning, you've come to realize that, that your heart's not right with God, and yet you are still unwilling to do as that scripture says and examine yourself, and to believe in and confess Jesus as Lord, then please do not participate in this communion time to avoid bringing judgment upon yourself. Just don't participate in it. My hope and prayer is that everyone here today would participate with a pure heart and that today would be the day of salvation for many. And for those of you who are already believers in Christ, make this a time of recommitment to the Lord and make it a day of great celebration. So let's have a moment of silent prayer where we can all meditate and make sure that we are participating in this in a worthy manner. Father, you have heard our words and more importantly, you have read our hearts. We thank you for Jesus.
thank you for the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness. Most importantly, we thank you for the salvation that provides us eternity in your presence. We've asked all of these things in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested in his last supper with his disciples, he took the bread and he had given thanks. And when he broke it, he said, this represents my body. Actually, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as you eat of this bread this morning, I want you to remember the bruised and battered body of our Lord, beaten beyond all recognition. And I want you to be reminded of how the sinless Son of God was the sacrifice for your sin and for mine. You may eat the bread. And in the same manner, he took the cup. The cup was representative of his blood that was soon to be shed. And he said, every time you do this, you do so in remembrance of me. And as you drink of this juice this morning, I want you to be reminded of the precious blood that poured out of the Lamb of God, the sinless Son of God. And it is his blood that atones for your and my sin. Let's drink of the juice. Will you stand with us as we sing? I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they lay him down in joy. by heavy stone Messiah still and all
invite you to consider attending a class that we offer on Sunday mornings prior to this service called First Steps. We don't want you to just receive Christ and let you flounder. We want to help you in your Christian journey. We want to teach you how to study the Word of God and give you some basic truths of the Christian faith. You can come at any time. It's at 9 o'clock. It's a 13-week class. You can jump in any of the 13 weeks and go your full 13 weeks. And when you're done, You'll be presented with a study Bible, customized with your name on it. So our way of saying thank you and allowing you to get in the Word of God. I'd love for you to be a part of that. Also, in two weeks, on May 1st, we are going to be baptizing in water at the beginning of our service. If you're new here, that screen pulls up. We have a baptismal tank up there, and during the first song, we baptize. If you want to follow Jesus' example, you found him today, or even if you have found him years ago, but you've never been baptized in water, contact the church office. We'll get you on the list. We got a good group of people already. I'd love to have about 30 people up there. I said 15 or 20. I want to shoot for 30 or 40. So I uh, think it could be an awesome time. And lastly, if you purchased an Easter lily, in honor of a loved one, don't forget to come up and get your lily. The name of your loved one is on there. Take it home with you. Uh, that was the plan. Thank you so much for contributing to these. I think it really is beautiful up here on the stage. And I want to thank you all for being here today. So thankful to our, our regulars. I'm so thankful to those of you who have chosen to visit us today. If you do not have a church home, we would sure love for you to come and join our family here. And I just pray that all of you would feel the overwhelming presence of the Spirit of God in your life the remainder of this day and all throughout the week until we join together again and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's bow our heads in prayer and close this service. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for Jesus and for what He's done for us on the cross. Thank you for the promises of God that we tend to forget, but one that we cannot forgive is that Jesus rose, and because he lives, now we can live. Now we are promised eternal life in the presence of God when our time on this earth is done, and we thank you for that, Lord. 
And I pray as we leave here today that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, that they would be conversations that would build up and not tear down. I also pray, Father, that we would be shining lights in a very dark world and that that light is the love of Christ that comes through us and that people would see it and recognize it and come up and say, what's different about you? And God, you open the door for us to tell them about your goodness and invite them into the house of God to come to know you as well. I pray, Father, also until we meet together again, that you would keep us safe from accidents, safe from any sickness or disease so that we can gather together again and we can worship you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your love. And now, Father, we go with that love in our hearts. Allow us to share it with others throughout the week. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. How great is our God.